0: So you take a seat, you can take out your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, I think it's like 830-something page on the in the Bibles that are on the back of the seats in front of you. And we are going to continue this morning in our series, Life Through the Gospel of John. If you remember last week, as we kicked off, I had a couple challenges, okay? It was a challenge one was... Uh, be present, say, hey, I'm going to be here. We're going to be ready. We're going to come ready to engage on Sunday mornings. Um, Next was dig in. We're going to dig in here. We're going to dig in individually into this book of the Bible. We're going to dig in, God willing, in small groups. And then uh, I had one more challenge uh, for us that we would pray. Would you pray maybe even right now, maybe right now where you're at, pray for one person, in your life, in your sphere of influence, who doesn't yet know Jesus? Would you pray that in the months ahead, God, would you save them? Would you use us to point them to you? And then pray for one more person, pray that God would have a divine meeting in your life. Someone that would walk into your life that you don't know right now, that God arranged for you to run into, whether by phone or at work or at school or whatever, so that you could point them to Christ and maybe share some of what you're learning as we go through this book of the Bible together. Well, last week was the first five verses of John chapter one. John is introducing us here last week and now this week through verse 18. He's introducing us to all the themes of this gospel before he starts unpacking them in the life of Christ. And last week, the first paragraph was all about the Word the Word, our one triune God who is life and light. we're gonna keep going. Look down at verse six. The first thing that we're gonna see is this. We're gonna see a witness to the light. A witness to the light. Verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about. The light. All right, we're introduced to John here. This is not the Apostle John, the son of Zebedee, the writer of this, of this gospel. This is John the Baptist. And it says that he's sent by God to be a kind of forerunner, to prepare the way for the light, the word. And he is he's a witness, or your translation might say he's a he's a testimony. All right, this witness is another theme of the Gospel of John that he's introducing us to. We're gonna see it used like 30 times through the rest of the book. And he's a witness for what reason? So that people would believe. That's the purpose of the whole book. Remember chapter 20, verse 31, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. And there's something that says we need to know here right out of the gates. We need to know he's not the light. John the Baptist isn't the light. He's a witness about the light. Think about that for a minute. A human witness. That's really cool. Right? The triune God of the universe, preexistent. Eternal word. He chooses to use people to testify to himself. And what's really amazing is we're called to be witnesses to the light too. Not only through the rest of John, but the entire New Testament has that theme. We are God's plan to testify about him to the world. Amen. Uh, John the Baptist was a, a forerunner of sorts, a witness to the coming of the Messiah, the light. Now we are called, we are called to testify to the fact that the light has come. But not only that, we get to be witnesses to the fact that the light is returning. Amen. What does your life testify about? I really think that everybody's life is a witness to something or some things. Um, often when we're, when we're looking back and remembering people that we love, some things, some different things bubble to the top in those memories. Some of them deep, some of them very just surfacy and fun. You know, we might say, well, he loved NASCAR. She... She loved collecting thimbles. They loved reruns of MacGyver. She loved coffee and Cheetos, which there's nothing wrong with that. They were a faithful employee. They were a a great parent. And there's nothing wrong with all of those things. They're great. They're good to be enjoyed. And some of them are even really good things. But, but, How amazing would it be if at the top of that list in the way that we will be remembered is Jesus. How amazing would it be to say, she lived her life as a witness, as a testimony to the light. I felt like every conversation we were in, somehow we ended up back at Jesus. I'd go to her house to drink coffee and eat Cheetos. And we talk about Jesus every single time. What is your life currently a witness to? God has chosen us, and when I say us, I mean the church, his children, his followers, humans, to be his witnesses so that people would believe and have life in his name. Is your life characterized by that? Or maybe a better question might be, will you choose to make your life primarily about that? A witness to the light. The next thing that we see, if you look down at verse nine, we're gonna see the light rejected and received. The light is rejected and received. Verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The true light, the real, the the ultimate light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The world, the word comes into the world. Doing what? Shining. Giving light. Um, I hate spiders you're like Nate hate's a strong word not strong enough <laughs> I hate spiders so bad that I've already like got goosebumps talking about I hate spiders so bad if I see a spider in the wild I will follow that spider to his home I will destroy his existence and his whole family tree Okay, And you're like, Nate, Nate, spiders are nice. I have one as a pet. Don't tell me that. I will come over there and I will cast that stuff out. (laughs) I hate spiders, okay? One of my children, uh, she, oh, she, she, I limited it down now. (laughs) She feels the same way about spiders as I do. But she does something different. When she walks into a room, she flips on the light switch She takes light and shines it in the corners, and she looks for spiders. Now, we all know spiders exist everywhere. So much so, they tell you you like eat like 15 of them in your sleep a year or something like that. Sorry about that image. (laughs) Last time you sleep with your mouth open. (laughs) She comes in looking for them. And here's the problem with that. I was living in blissful ignorance. That's the problem with that. I didn't know that that hairy wolf spider was over in the corner watching me, plotting my demise. (laughs) But now I do. And once I've seen it, I can't unsee that. See, now that the light showed me what was in in the corners, I have a choice to make. I can either try somehow to convince myself it's not over there, and try to continue on in no longer blissful ignorance, or I can choose to do something about it. I have a choice to make. How will I respond? Like what's that have to do with this, Nate? All right, here we go. The true light, he comes doing what? Shining. He gives light to, Everyone, in what sense? When the light, when the light comes into the world, he illuminates all the dark corners of our lives. He sheds light on our sin and our, our idolatry and our rebellion against God as he reveals the truth of who God is, his grace and his truth. And now, now we have a choice to make. Look down at verse 10. It says, he, the true light, was in the world. The world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. What's happening here? What's happening here is the world didn't know him. It says, your uh, translation might say didn't recognize him. Didn't recognize him for who he was and didn't receive him and even even the jewish people his chosen people hardened their hearts in sin refused to see him for who he was and rejected him and rebelled against the light the illumination but look at verse 12 but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God. You see, some rejected him, but, but others did what? It says they received him. What does that mean? I think this verse actually shows us what it means. Who did not receive him, who believed in his name. Believed in his name describes what it means to receive him. In scripture, someone's name describes the character of that person. So this is, this is more than just believing some facts about him. To believe in his name, it's to to trust him. It's to trust what his name reveals about him. And what name do we have so far? The word. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he did what? He gave the right to become children of God. God. Those who believe in his name, he gives us, a new identity. He he welcomes them into his family. He adopts us into his spiritual family and we now receive all the rights and all the privileges of becoming his children. How? Because we trust. But it keeps going. Look at verse 13. He gave the right to become children of God who were born Another theme in John, new birth, who were born not of blood, born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What's happening here? What is this? They were born not of blood, is what he's saying is your genealogy doesn't birth you into God's family. At this time they would have been saying, but we're descendant from Abraham. Maybe we might say something like, but I'm part of a Christian family. He's like, that doesn't birth you into my family, God's saying. Then he says, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. What's that mean? It's saying there's nothing that we can will, there's nothing that we can do in our own power that will birth us into God's family. I can't say, I followed the law. I'm a pretty good person. I go to church. I give to church. I don't do this, that, or this. He's saying, that's great that you don't do those things. That doesn't give you birth into my family, and it doesn't give you the rights as my child. What does? Look at the end of that verse. There's two words. It's of God. It's all God's work. I Trust him, and he adopts me into his family. You have a choice to make. Why would you say that this morning, Nate? Well, because in this text, under the sound of my voice, you are seeing the true light that gives light to everyone. And there is no going back from that. And now there's one of two choices. You can reject him or you can receive him. How will you respond? But nay, you don't don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I'm in in right right now. Look down at verse 12. Look what it says. But to who? All. All. You know what all means right here? All. It means even you, even me, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter how we've previously rejected, in this moment, if you will believe in his name, he adopts you into his family. The next thing that we'll see from this passage is this. The word became flesh. The word became flesh. Look at verse 14. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It starts with again, the word, the in the beginning, the eternal, the creator who was with God and remember was God, didn't become God, was God, is God, will ever more be God. That word becomes what? It says flesh. He becomes human. The word, the second person of the Trinity takes on humanity and enters his creation. And in doing that, he doesn't cease to be God. Remember, he was God. He doesn't give up his divine nature. Rather, he adds human nature. Jesus, the word, eternal, steps into creation, does not cease to be God, is divine, but now, Human, you're like, whoo, that's mystery. Yep. And scripture tells us he is fully God and he is fully man. And he does what? Look, the word became flesh and does what? Dwelt among us. Uh, Your translation might say he made his home among us or more literally, um, he tabernacled among us. The tabernacle and the temple were the places where God's manifest presence, his glory dwelled in the midst of his people. And now is what this God's word is telling us is that the word in the flesh human manifests the presence of God in our midst, where he lived for 33 years. He dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory of God is in scripture, typically his his holiness on display. It's everything that is true and good and beautiful and perfect and awesome about him actually being seen, displayed. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. Okay, so interesting thing here. This is the last time that we're gonna see the name, the word used in John. From here on out, we're going to see Son, and we're going to see Jesus are the references to him. Son here indicates that there's a special relationship between the the first and second person of the Trinity. They are Father and Son. It tells us something about their nature, that they are the same, and yet the way that they relate to each other within the Trinity, because we see that the Father actually sends the Son into his Creation. And we have seen his glory. Glory only, of the only son from the father. And he's what? He's full. Full of grace and truth. He's saying, we've seen his glory. What does that glory look like? Fullness of grace and truth. Now, when you see that, you should think back to a passage we've talked about a couple times over the last few weeks. And hopefully you're starting to remember it because it's a good one. (laughs) Exodus 33 and 34. In Exodus 33 and 34, Moses goes up the mountain and he says to the Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And what's the Lord say? He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name. My name is the Lord. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Okay, grace and truth here are used to summarize all of those realities about the word. Grace is unmerited favor or kindness. It's this graciousness. And this word truth is the idea of trustworthiness or it could be said faithfulness. One who keeps promises. So the word, or now, now as we're going to see the son, displays God's glory. How? How? Does Jesus just walk around and it's like, it's like a bug zapper, you know, it's like, it's just like, I'm just attracted to it. There's just, there's glory. And I can just tell by looking at him that he's God and he's full of grace and truth. No, no, no. In fact, his glory isn't even revealed all at once and it won't even be perceived by all. The fullness of his grace and truth is gonna be revealed through his life, through his character, through his teaching and through his actions. And we're gonna see it throughout the rest of this book. This world is broken by sin. Scripture teaches us that. We know that experientially. But here's the good news. God acts to save it. How does he act to save his world? He enters it and becomes a man. You're like, Nate, I've got so many questions. That's okay, I do too. We're going to see him. Next thing that we see is this. The word pours out grace. The word pours out grace. Look down at verse 15. It says this, John bore witness about him. John the Baptist. And he cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me, Jesus was born after John the Baptist, ranks before me. Why? Because he was before me, because he's the word, because he was. Now look at verse 16. Look at this. This is incredible. For from his fullness, what fullness? Above, his fullness of grace and truth. From his fullness, we have all received Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. What does this upon here mean? It can mean a few different things. It can be speaking about accumulation. So, it's, so grace is just building on top of grace and it's just stacking up more and more. It can be the idea of replacement. It's a grace in place of grace, which then is in place of this grace. And maybe even your translation of scripture says it that way. A third option is one where I tend to to lean, but it's more of the idea of sequence or a succession of grace. The NIV, I think, translates it this way. So you'd say after. So it's the idea of grace after grace, after grace, after grace. And in some senses, God's grace really is all of these. And there's an example here in verse 17, look there. It says the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law, the Mosaic law, the old covenant, it was a gracious gift from God. You know why? Well, It it guided them into how to live in relationship with God. It confronted Israel with their sin. It showed them their need for a savior. It called them to trust in God for for everything, including the future fulfillment of the promised Messiah, the coming deliverer. It, it, It was a gracious gift from God. But so what he's saying is something so much greater, a grace greater than the law, a grace greater than Moses is here and his name is Jesus Christ and the spoiler alert is over, we actually see the word is the Christ. Christ is a a title for Jesus Christos, it means Messiah or anointed one. And we see that the word, the creator, the true light and life, the son of God is Jesus the fullness of the grace and truth of God is now here in a person. Uh, sometimes I've, I've heard grace upon grace described kind of like waves, waves in an ocean. It's like, it's like grace upon grace, but it's not my favorite way of us seeing it because waves can be bigger or smaller and there can be lulls between those waves can't there. Think about grace upon grace a little bit more like this. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls, just imagine you're at the bottom of the falls and those falls are just pouring over and it's just hitting you. And those falls never they never stop. They never they never run out. It never slows down. It just keeps coming and you're inundated with the grace of God. And there are new mercies, there are new graces from him to tap into every single day. So what's the point of this section? The point is this. The Christian life is, it's all about grace. Unmerited favor, and kindness and graciousness from start to finish and everything in between. And in fact, what's really interesting is this is also the last time that we're gonna see the word grace in John. We're gonna hear a lot about truth throughout this gospel, but right here at the beginning, he's making a point to focus on grace so that we'll be watching for it. Displayed in Jesus. It's like John saying, I want you to hear that Jesus pours out his grace, his his favor on his people. How has he done that, John? Well, he does that in his forgiveness. He does that in giving us eternal life. He gives us hope and he gives us faith and joy and he disciplines us even when we need it and he's, a help to us in our time of need. And he works for us and in us and through us and gives us purpose and is a, is a friend. And it's, it's just grace after grace, after grace, after grace, after, after grace. And I, I deserve nothing from him. Nothing. And yet by grace, through faith, I receive everything in relationship with Jesus Christ. And the temptation here, I think sometimes too, can be for us to go, man, God is awesome. Too bad I'm nothing like that. (laughs) Don't forget, one of his gifts One of his graces is the fact that he gives us his Holy Spirit who through his word forms us and makes us into his likeness, into his image increasingly, not perfectly, but more and more across this life. And so the temptation can be, right, God is so good, his grace, his grace is so abundant, it's like the falls just pouring over and I'm inundated with it and it's from God and from God and from God and it was intended to be that way, but then we forget that that grace from is meant to be for The grace from God is meant to be for our Christ-likeness. It's meant to be for our being formed into his image. It's meant to be for us serving others and loving them by pouring out grace and truth from God to them so that they might see his glory even in us. Look at verse 18 to end this. I love it. Verse 18, it's like at the end of this introduction, he, he takes us all the way back to the beginning again. He says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He, Jesus, the Word, the Son, he has made him known. It's one last nod here in the introduction to the deity of Jesus. Jesus, the only Son, who is from the Father, who is God, reveals God to the world. So themes, themes that we got in these first 18 verses. We got the Trinity. We've already, we've already met two of the persons of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son. Next week, God the Spirit. Themes we've seen, we've seen life and light. We've seen the world Witness, believe, receive glory, grace, and truth. And now, starting next week, we're going to begin to see all of that unpacked in the life of Christ. So, why? Why did the Creator enter His creation? Jesus, the Son of God, became human to live the perfect life that you and I are incapable of living. He came to die on the cross in our place to pay our penalty. He came to rise from the dead in victory over sin and death and he came to display to the world the light of his glory all so that we would believe in him and receive his gift of eternal life if you have the communion cups that you got when you came in this morning, go ahead and take those out. As you're doing that, I just wanna remind us for a minute why we do this, and maybe you're here and you don't know why we do this, and so I'd like to tell you why we do this. Um, We, and when I say we, I mean the church, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we take, or we, you could say, observe communion. We eat this bread, And we drink this cup to remember. To remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus on our behalf. And so when we come together and we take communion together, this is our opportunity to worship. This is our opportunity to remember what he has done for us. This is our opportunity to confess any lingering sin in our lives that he died to save us out of. And this is our opportunity to just take a moment and express our gratitude to the Lord for his grace after grace that we have received from him, his grace that we will receive from him, both in this life and for all of eternity. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for saving us. Thank you, Jesus, for living Perfectly in the ways that we will never be able to. For standing in our place and paying our penalty and providing a way of salvation through you. Thank you that you didn't stay in the grave, but you rose, Lord, in victory. Thank you for shining your light into our hearts and calling us to yourself. Thank you for giving us your spirit to to dwell in us and among us, to make us into your image, something that we would be incapable of doing without your spirit in us. Thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, take the bread out of there and eat this in remembrance of him. Take the cup and together let's drink this in remembrance of the shed blood, the purifying, cleansing blood of Jesus Christ.